Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you are trying to evaluate whether real estate is the right career for you, wondering whether you're doing the right things to launch into quick success, or looking for tips and tools you can use today to become a more productive agent, this is your podcast. Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent, and this is episode 15. Can you believe we're 15 episodes in? No. Well, we made it past whatever, Friday 13th or something. So that's good. good. We did. Yep. So today we're going to be talking about how to win in a seller's market. But first, we want to thank everybody for listening. Our usual reminder to please leave us a a rating, a review, some show ideas to connect with us. We love it so much when you connect with us. In fact, we had the coolest, we actually got to talk to this person yesterday, message from one of our listeners, Amy. And I want to read you what she said. It was so nice. It said, firstly, you ladies rock, double exclamation point. While perusing Audible, which I didn't even know we were on Audible, but thanks for letting us know, Amy. For the latest in real estate, your podcast was at the top of the list. After listening to a couple episodes, I'm hooked. So that was so cool. And we got to talk to her. We actually did a Zoom, Valerie and I did, with Amy to answer some questions she has about becoming a real estate agent in this area. So she had been licensed before, moved here, like Valerie did. So lots of um, commonalities and sort of the path there. So and Amy made it to the podcast. Amy, Hi, Amy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. See, connect with us. That's right. We'll mention you too. That's right. Only if you say nice listening. things. Though. Right. Yeah. So please, please, please do connect with us. We would love to hear from you. Um, again, you can connect with us through our website at therealestaterainmakers.com. And remember episode 14, if you haven't listened to that one, was all about how to get listening, listing, listenings, how to get <laughs> listings. And we were told by a few listeners that this was actually their favorite episode yet. I thought that was so interesting. So the people who said that, I said, why? Just, you know, what was it? And they were like, there was just so much in there that we like wanted to take notes about and write down. And someone said they went back and listened to it three times That's to get good. the information. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. So today you're going to list, you're going to learn a lot also. Again, you can always go back and listen at our transcripts and our show notes are on our website at therealestateratemakers.com. So don't feel like you have to scribble every note down today, but we do hope you'll learn a lot. So we're going to start, as I like to do, with a quote. Yes. This one is from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. This is my like favorite read of the moment. And this really resonated with me as I started my coaching that I'm doing with Tom Ferry now, and hopefully it will resonate with you too. And the quote is, Most great leaders began in the capacity of followers. They became great leaders because they were intelligent followers. An intelligent follower has many advantages, among them the opportunity to acquire knowledge from the leader. I love that. And then I heard someone else, as I was listening to some coaching call this week, say, the idea here is you gather and grow. And I love that. Like, So you gather ideas and information from everywhere you can. And then you use those ideas to grow. And I feel like that's And I feel also like maybe adapting them to you. Like yes. listen to the ideas and yes. you're like, well, I wouldn't really do it that way. Right. But the actual like concept is a good concept. So that's mostly what I do from, you know. Yeah. And that's such a good segue into actually what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're going to give you a lot of ideas today for helping your buyers prevail in a seller's market. So take those ideas, adapt them. Some might be more applicable to your market than others or the way that you do business or your buyer pool. We're going to give you a lot. So again, don't feel like you have to scribble notes on everything. Go to the website. We have lots and lots of tips and they will all be in our show notes. So let's get started. So in 2019, 
Experts predicted that the 2020 real estate market could be the most challenging buyers have experienced in years. And <laughs> is it ever? Wait, is that before even COVID? Yes. Before, that's weird. So they Isn't had it? A, yeah. And COVID, I feel like, has just exacerbated that whole thing, right? I think in spite of or maybe because of the pandemic, right. it has just been the, the most crazy seller-favored market than, that we right. have seen in most areas of the nation since 2007. I mean, have you seen anything like this since then? It's crazy. At the beginning of COVID, I was like, here we go. We're not going to do anything. Right. And then I remember speaking to you and you're like, no, it's like peak 2006 before. Like that's what we were doing with escalation clauses, with multiple. It's crazy. It is. So you almost have to forget about COVID and that's the market you're on. It's just like a super competitive market. Yeah. And I mean, people spend so much time in their homes now that they're hyper-focused on right. what they need in a house, which as we all know, is part of the reason buyers are moving that together with the interest rates, together with the low inventory, together with the urban areas, yep, being birds. able to work wherever they want to work now. Right. All of those things have inspired people to move. So when you're in a competitive market like this, your buyers really need to be equipped to compete when they find the house that they love. And our job is to give them the knowledge. So sometimes we call ourselves knowledge brokers to equip them with the tools they need to make the best decisions for their situation and to get the house they love when they find it. So none of this is meant to be high pressure sales tactics because people do not like that, nor do they right. benefit from it. But this is when you have a buyer who walks into the house and they know it and you know it, that this is the house that they've right. been waiting for. And they know they are probably going to compete with other buyers who also love the house what can you do? What are the tools that you can give them in their arsenal so that they can win and buy that house of their dreams for themselves? So we often say, though there's no way an agent can know everything there is to know, there's no excuse for not knowing what you should know. So the tips we're going to give you today are tools every agent should know and should be able to share with his or her buyer. So I'm going to share quickly a little story about an agent who... Um, was helping a buyer who was no longer this agent's buyer, but this buyer fell in love with a house in a competitive situation and unfortunately did not prevail. And the reason the buyer felt that he did not prevail is that he didn't know what was possible because the agent didn't tell him, you know, you can do this, you can do all of these, have all of these tips that we're going to share with you today at the ready and actually ended up switching to another agent because, felt, because he felt like, it was either lack of knowledge, lack of experience, lack of real care for what the buyer wanted. Right. Um, it didn't feel like the agent was knowledgeable enough. So this is where we have to make sure that we've got all of these, these pieces ready for our buyers. So price is usually the yes. thing that is most important to sellers. And it's on page one of our contract. So it's kind of right. the first thing they see when I'm doing an offer summary. If I'm sending, you know, an email and in the body, I'm kind of like, here's the summary. Price is usually the first right. point. So that's the thing that catches the seller's eye first and is usually the thing that either persuades a seller to continue to look at that offer. So yesterday, good example, right? Stacy on our team has her had her mom's house right. listed. 16 offers. What? Yes. It was crazy. That is crazy. So she did this big, giant, beautiful spreadsheet. So we use a multiple offer right. spreadsheet to compare offers. So you can see kind of apples to apples. And of course, the first line is price. 
And then some were escalated. But what the first thing we did is we went out and just grayed out anything that didn't even come close in terms of price. So right. just by being lower in price, many of those people yeah. self-eliminated. Yes. And then we dug down into the other details, which is what we're going to kind of go over with you. But if you are starting out with a, a buyer who feels that, well, you know, your, your CMA, a competitive market analysis, right. said this. So let's take a house. Let's just give a, a hypothetical example. Let's take a house. That is priced like Stacy's what mom's was at five forty nine nine, right? So let's give it five fifty just to, to take a round right. one. And somebody's CMA, let's say your CMA came up with a range of between five thirty five and five eighty five, and we know that we've got escalations above six. What do you say to a buyer? Who? What do you say to the buyer who says, "But that's way outside of the range of the CMA." I think you almost have to go with the market. That yes, you might be overpaying at this time. But if you want or need the house, that's that's just the market. I mean, okay, so that leads me to another question. Is there such a thing as overpaying in your mind? Because, you know, we always hear that old saw that a house is only worth what a buyer will pay for it and a seller will part with it for. So is there such a thing as overpaying? I do have to say I've done CMAs when people want to go higher and I'm like, I will do this for you, but I don't think you can resell the house for this. Mm. So if it's because you need it, like my client, she's in a wheelchair, they need an open space. I told them, I think they should overpay because it's going to be a needle in a haystack for us to find another house and be chosen again. So yes, let's do whatever needs to be done. So when you say overpay, you mean pay outside of the range of where you Higher than, correct. Yes, everybody was escalating and we escalated the most. That's the one where the home inspection, we have to waive it. We couldn't even get out after the home inspection. Yeah. But we knew that was the house, plus it was in great condition and things like that. If I see a house that's not in great condition and it's just like a crazy like escalation of insanity, I don't think. I mean, I've literally had someone, I told you the house, that was a million four. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to put like 300,000. I'm like, you'll never sell this house for a million seven in this neighborhood. So I don't know. I feel it. Yeah. Some houses are worth it and they can. But like I said, if you need it or it's a specific thing, very unique. But if it's just, um, what do you call it? That insanity of like a bidding war, then that can get out of hand, I feel. It can. And there's there's an impulsivity to that sometimes. That yes. And then they come be- back to you. You let me go crazy. You know what I mean? They go back to... And that's where you really have to educate yes. the buyer, right? To tell them, like you, you just and make it their decision, so it yes. doesn't come back to you. Correct, and to know also that there's more to value than just a price, right? So, yes. like with your people in the wheelchair, Correct. there was value to that house. Totally, I showed yes. a house last night to people, and I think it's priced pretty high for what it is. Same exact conversation. She said, "Do you think you know if we go to resell this in five years?" we could sell it for more. And I said, well, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. Right. I said, this is definitely, I feel we're, we're close to the top of a market right now, right. but are you going to resell it in five years? And she said, well, no, this will probably be our forever home. And I said, well, then think about that. And you know, I remember meeting with someone and he took me to lunch and he kept going, is this a good investment? Is this a good investment? And he was so focused on that. <laughs> and I said, when do people see houses? I mean, it was in the craziness of the, you know, boom in 2000, mm-hmm. whatever, six, five, four. That people were just like, I can resell it for, I remember my California home, 40000 a month it was going and I haven't done anything to my house, right? Wow. So it was crazy. But I'm like, if it, this is the perfect house for you in the perfect neighborhood, perfect school for your child, then like you said, like, yes, then it's a great home and it's worth like you buy a nice sweater that's more as opposed to four sweaters that are cheaper mm-hmm. and Marshalls. So same kind of thing. Like, it's like, don't see it so much. Like when they ask you, in five years, can I get my money back? 
that you enjoyed for five years, your equity is going to be built anyway. Right. There's life value. So I house. feel people lost the whole thing about a home is really a house is for a home. Yes. So As opposed true. to how much can I make in four years? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. So often what I say to people where, you know, what happens is we kind of crunch all of this. We have this discussion. We're sitting in the conference room. We're just like waiting. The right. one piece we don't have filled in is the offer is the price. Right. And we, we sit there and I'll say to them and they're like, what should we do? What should we do? And I say, you have to come up with a price that if someone else pays $1 more, you will wake up tomorrow morning and go, let them have it and yep. be able to sleep well that night. So that's, that's your price. And they always look at each other. But you know what? Usually that helps them figure it out. It totally helps. Price. I always say they wanted it more. If you yes. thought it was six fifty, yep. and you only going to give them six fifty, and someone went six fifty five, yep. they wanted it more than you. And that's fine. Yep. Then I said, you need to do that with peace. So that way we move on to the next. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of moving on to the next, the <laughs> next tip is provide as significant and earnest money deposit as possible. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is a very locally um, differentiated piece. So in right. some parts of the country, the earnest money deposit is very small. In our part of the country, it's usually like in a typical market, somewhere between like one and 3%. Right now mm-hmm. we're seeing much higher because it's meant to impress the seller, right. even though because of our local regulations, it's very difficult for a seller to actually keep someone's earnest money. But one way you can cure that is make it non-refundable. I know. That's crazy. I've never done that. It's It makes an impression. It definitely that. makes an impression. But I do get people to do, like, if it's $800,000 home and they can do $16,000, i am like, you know what? If we did twenty five and it's really not going to be in danger, mm-hmm. it looks so much better. It yeah. really puts like skin in the game for you. It does. It so does. yeah, I've never done non-refundable. That would be crazy. But it's yeah, it, it is. Powerful, but it's done, though. I guess. Yep. Another one is strike the financing contingency. So you really have to explain the risks of this to your buyer. If you're going to suggest this, because they really would stand. That's usually that last standing contingency and they would stand to lose their earnest money deposit. If once the financing contingency has run or they don't have one at all, they decide to where they can't proceed. God forbid they lose their job. Something like that happens. Their EMD is at risk. But if your buyer is absolutely certain that he or she can obtain the financing, striking that contingency can give the offer an unquestionable advantage. Mm -hmm. It really is very, very strong. And then if you have to make the offer contingent on financing, make the time period as short as possible so the risk is lower and the seller knows that you have moved the loan or the loan's been moved through all of the underwriting steps right? and that the lender has all of the documentation and is solid in terms of making I guess that would work with someone that has the money and they're like, oh, it's so cheap to borrow money right now that I'm going to do a loan, but I know I have this backup, you know, pool of money that I could put in. Or that they're willing to risk their EMD. If that's exactly, you know, exactly. that's the other piece of it. If they right. want the house that much. Now back to the appraisal piece for a second. Now remember that even without the appraisal contingency, at least in right. our contract, the appraisal is baked into the financing contingency. So that's another reason that pulling that eliminating oh, the financing so you're eliminating contingency. Both, you, you you would right. be in that case. Yes. The other thing that's really powerful, and this is something that one of the offerers on Stacy's mom's house that I just mentioned did 
which was great because it escalated and escalated to a point that we feel like it could be a little risky appraisal wise. Right. They wrote language in that if the house under appraises, and we did this before on the Morant's house, that they're going to call The buyers will make up the difference in cash. Yes. Yes. And and we had to pick a buyer that had the cash. That's again, super powerful. If you're, you know, and very palatable to the seller, if you get to a point where you are in a danger zone, you know, in terms of appraisal. And speaking of financing, number four is provide a powerful lender letter. Make sure the lender letter states that the application has been made, that income and assets have actually been verified, that credit credit has been analyzed and is strong. And many agents will prefer prefer a local direct lender. They just know that they have a better sense of what's happening in the local market, often a relationship with the bank that the buyer is banking at. And often an underwriter who's right in the next office. So they can actually say, hey, underwriter, do you think this looks like a good you know, bet for us to underwrite? And right. the underwriter will say, yay or nay. Also remember, the letter that comes from the lender should invite the listing agent to reach out to the lender. An agent, so for example, like Stacy's mom's house again, right? One of those lines was connected with the lender. All the ones she hadn't connected with, not that she threw those out right away, but she couldn't say, I've had a conversation. I feel good right. about this buyer. It definitely elevated the status of the ones with whom she had connected. Right. So make sure the lender's ready to pick up the phone too. Or you know, I put calls. it on my synopsis now. I'll you say do? like conventional 20% down, blah, blah, blah. So literally the last two, it's really, really paid off. Very smart. Very smart. So it totally yep. works. It totally Very works. smart. And then five is strike as many contingencies as possible. So when the sellers are reviewing the contracts, they're going to be looking for the one that poses the fewest risks. They want the fewest outs for the buyer. And again, in our area, the buyer has lots of ways to get out. The seller, once they've ratified, is pretty, they're pretty much stuck in the contract unless the buyer walks away. So it all comes down to presenting to a seller an offer that has the highest level of certainty of going to the settlement table. The price can be you know, out of this world. The appraisal could be non-existent. The financing can be non-existent. But if there are a million walkaway contingencies and the buyer can't make it to the settlement table, right. none of the rest of it means anything. So remember, the seller will typically pick the offer that has the fewest pitfalls. And again, while we were looking through Stacy's spreadsheet, you know, even there was one that was a pretty high escalation. But I'm like, but it's full of contingencies. Right. I mean, they had all kinds of contingencies that other people didn't even have. So grade that one out. That was gone. How, what do you think about that? Do you yeah, agree? I was going to say, because I usually, this is the first time in 10 years that in that house, I had I had no way to get out. We were buying this house. It didn't matter what. So it was kind of scary to have, and literally I put it to them when they were reviewing all the offers, they called us and they're like, would you be willing to? And at that moment, I was like, this is it. They're going to give it to you if you're willing to really have no way to get out. Because she didn't want to pass on other, if we had, which is exactly what I was saying. So. Yeah. Yeah. So she wanted a short thing. So it was a little scary, but I mean, we got the house, so yeah. it does work. But it does. I have to say, I've only used it once where I have nothing. Because yeah. I didn't even have HOA to get out of. There's no oh, HOA right, there. Right. There's nothing. Yeah, it's rare, but again, super powerful. Once they know yeah. you're locked in, you're locked in. Yeah. And speaking of that, never use the home inspection contingency that allows for negotiation. So again, this is probably different in different markets, but our right. contract has two options for inspection. One says the buyer has the right to negotiate. The other says the buyer has the right to inspect, but not to negotiate. Just to avoid. Just to avoid, right. right. So, and I know you're a big proponent of the non-negotiation. And tell, yes. me, tell us why. Oh why my is God. that important? I always tell my people, it's like you don't, 
The inspection is really for things you cannot see. Like we can get a vibe of the house when we're there. Like I can see if it's in good condition. I can see it by, you know, the water tank. Like how does it look? So it's kind of weird. I rather get my negotiation and the goodwill from the seller the first time around. People hate to negotiate twice. After the home inspection, they're like, wait, wait, wait. We already came down in price or we already went through this. Why are we doing it again? So I always feel like, let's just tell them, hey, we're not going to negotiate any further. You're not going to live here from us like we want any kind of credit. If there's something huge, which we couldn't see, like a roof leak or whatever, they're going to have to do it for anybody else. So most likely they do it. But I feel literally that sellers don't want to negotiate. The human nature, you can't engage them twice to come down. It's they hard. They resist it's you. It's and crazy. buyer's agents out there as a listing agent, don't be that agent that says they're not going to negotiate and then comes back with a laundry list of yes. and dime things. I'll tell you what, those I know who those people are in my market or the ones who say they're not going to negotiate in the 11th hour right before settlement. I'm like, don't do it because I know you. I've done this, you know, right. been on, through this rodeo before. I'm not doing this with you again. Um, it really hurts your reputation as a buyer's agent if you don't hold true to your word. And that's all about setting the expectations properly with your buyers. Right. So another one that will be helpful for you is settle when the seller wants to settle. So totally. the, the settlement date is actually a really huge item of value. Yeah. for most sellers. And I am always astounded by how many times I get multiple offers and very few of the agents ever call me to ask what my seller's ideal right. settlement date is. Is that one of the questions you ask? Right totally. Yeah. Because I always tell my people, this doesn't have a money value, but it does. It's not like we're giving the money for this, but if they have to pay an extra month of rent, that has value. So they don't have to do it. If the house is empty, I know they probably want us to move really fast. So yes, totally. And even when I finally do call and choose, I always write, hey, and we're negotiable either back or forward if we need to, to make it. I mean, yeah, that's huge, I feel, because if they have to go and buy a place, yeah, you can give them time. If they want you to close right away, we can close as soon as the bank can close. Exactly. And that, that is so important, especially <laughs> when, like, if, if you have two that offers that are yes. exactly the same or even one that's a little less than the other. If the people can't move, if it's more convenient, yes, yeah, or if they just yeah. if they really can't, if they can't make the date work, they'll go with a lower offer, right? And then the other agent's like, "Well, we we offered more, but it doesn't matter. They can't right. move out at that date." But I agree with you. Offering time flexibility so important. An optional rent back period, right? If you can offer that, a free rent back, even better to the that's seller. That's true, actually. That's a big one. That's money value and time value. And if your seller, if they need a home of choice, consider a home oh, yeah. of choice contingency. So again, sometimes that's the hoop your buyer needs to jump through in order to prevail. And remember too, that the buyer's mortgage does not actually start being paid until the fo- the first of the follow the full month. Right. After. So they get like a free month. Right. Kind of. So it's not like they're going to feel the overlap. If they're affording sellers from whom they're buying, right, and a, a month of free rent, right, and that goodwill will go a long way. Sure, if does. They go, sure, you can stay till the thirtieth, and we pick it up. Yeah. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. almost like part of the offer, but not. Yeah, yes. So this is one number eight is one that I actually learned originally from an appraiser, mm-hmm. and I thought this was so smart. This is paying all of the transfer and recordation taxes, and what this does is it nets the seller more dollars while not creating more of an appraisal issue. So here's how this works, right? So let's say that the total transfer and recordation taxes costs are $20,000. So they'd be split. Your buyers are 10, sellers are 10. Let's say though that the buyers were going to escalate the price $10,000 over asking to try to prevail. 
So it's better, you're right, to pay the tax as opposed to bringing the, everything up. Correct. Like the price up, taxes up. Yes, and remember, so many of the seller's costs are function of... So you could price. offer like 600000 yep. and then to pay the full, which is part of the offer. Yes, the next yes, design, that's a good idea. the appraisal is not as dangerous. The one thing you have to do as a buyer's agent, because a lot of listing agents do not understand this concept, is make it crystal clear, like right down, side by side. Here is the net at 610 here is the net at six with us paying all the ca- all the transportation exactly. taxes. It's the same net, but right. they don't get it unless you really lay it's it out. It's just shuffling the numbers. Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Because if you're going to add it to the sales price anyway, right? It increases all this stuff. Commission. It increases exactly. everything. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I thought that was such a good idea. That is a good idea. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because when people see in our estimated cost worksheet mm-hmm. how much those are, and I always go, "That's just your half." Yeah. I mean, which is insane. And for us, especially in Montgomery County, Maryland, really, really high. It's there are really other parts high. So sometimes $8,000. I'm like, there's another yes. 8000 on their side. Right. But you're right. If we said, we'll pick it up. Yeah. I've never used that. Oh, But right. that's a good idea. Yeah. I like it. And then number nine is making the offer as is. And in this case, you have to put in the date of ratification, the as is date. And check the operation of everything possible with a witness so that there will be no disagreements at settlement as to whether something was or wasn't working. So as is, there's no home inspection? Well, we have options on the as is, but typically, right, there's no home inspection. Like when I bought my investment property up on Chestertown Street, strictly as is with all of the as is boxes checked, meaning if there was an HOA violation, we're not asking them to fix it. it. If If it's ridden with termites, it's on us. If there were well and septic, it's on us. Any other county, local ordinances, all of those city notices and fines, we, we had to cure them all. And we right. were going to anyway, but it was all on us. So that's true as is. So there are right. different levels of as is, but that is incredibly strong when you're going and saying, hey, not only are we not inspecting, not giving ourselves a right to walk away, but we're not going to ask you to do anything right. at all. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that was pretty... Um radical like also <laughs> like i was gonna say and the like the because i've done the one where the termite is gone uh-huh. in the essays so i guess i've done as is light but i've <laughs> never done die hard ass which would be more of a flip kind of thing where you're getting such a great price or that, if you really want to compete i mean i remember so back again this is the early 2000s market this is the one buyer for whom i wrote 62 offers what yes no. Before we finally got it. I know. I was a newish agent back then. Oh it was my tough. God. I wasn't that new. I was probably should have known better. 62? 62. But we kept like, it was, we went from like having every contingency to having like fewer contingencies to wow. fewer, to escalating way over to having nothing, no contingencies at all, to like, you know, giving away her first child. Not really bad. Right. Like, first one. To, yeah. To finally the uh, the true as is, and this was in Bethesda where there are no HOAs. Oh, yeah. And for those who are listening and don't understand the concept here, the HOA in our state gives a buyer a non-waivable right to escape the contract. So gives the buyer an unwaivable right to non-waivable right to escape the contract. So in this case, by doing it truly as is, there's no way she was out. taking all of the risks. There was no way to get, it, but it was the only way she could prevail oh, because yeah. nobody here was there. 2004, I think, is when this was. And number 10, maybe the most important tip of all, be a great buyer's agent. And you know what I wrote here? I wrote, like, report with the seller's agent. Yes. Well, first, your reputation helps. Because even, 
you're not in the contract, but you are. So if they go, oh my God, that agent is like really hard to work with. Right. So that's going to be, um, but I also think like, like this people with the wheelchair person, I had to, I couldn't sleep at night. We had to get this house. So I made a point of calling the agent and I'm like, I'm giving you a really good offer, but I want you to know why we need this house. Aww. So I want it. And literally we are all invested in this family getting this house. The The seller wants to meet them tomorrow. Aww. It's our, and she chose us even though we were a little less because of that. She mm-hmm. wanted the good karma. She loved her house. She wanted it to go to someone that just didn't want it, but needed it and wanted it. So that totally, not in a cheesy way, like I'm going to send a picture or whatever, but I wanted her to know when I'm like, I'm putting the best offer out there and I'm telling you why. So I feel that has a little bit of weight to it if people are, you know. That is a great buyer's agent. I am looking right here at a great buyer's agent. I mean, truly. Like that's, and we got that. Yes, but that's what you do. Like you do. Yes, I was emotionally invested. I'm like, this is their house. Yes. We're going to do whatever it takes to get but this that's, And that is, for everybody listening, that is what makes a great agent. And I mean, this is where, you know, I'm going to get on my little like soapbox for a minute here. But if you are in this for the money and not for right. the clients, you're doing the wrong thing. Right. Exactly. You have to make sure that you really feel emotionally invested in yes. every transaction or you shouldn't be doing this. And But that's part of what makes this enjoyable, right? And I'm sure you got yeah. such fulfillment and will when they get the keys to that house. Tomorrow. We're closing yes. tomorrow. Yes. So it's like, and like I said, she wanted to overlap. She took time from work because she wants to meet them and. It's amazing. So it's cool. like, yeah. And yeah. she had, we had like nine offers against us. Yes. Yeah. And so. you know, yeah, that's, and that's what it takes. So, and most listing agents are aware, like you said, that the quality of the agent representing the buyer is either a harbinger for success or a minefield, right? And an agent who communicates well, delivers a good, clean, complete offer, and who submits the contract on, you know, the paperwork that either the listing agent prefers or the correct paperwork, all of that gives a call ahead of time, makes a warm introduction. It's going to go a long way toward a successful transaction. And on the flip side of that, a buyer's agent who is pushy, who is difficult to communicate with, who is sloppy and not detail oriented, all who comes in pre-negotiating and questioning how you came up with your price. And I feel a lot of agents feel that being like combative and being pushy or loud is advocating. It's a total turnoff. It's the other way around. Right. So my point, I always tell my people, I'm like, I'm going to filter your anxiety and tell her, I said, we're going to be nice as pie until. Right. So basically while things are going good, we're doing great. And suddenly, I mean, I remember getting one call about something that, she was wrong in, and I called her. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. No, that's not. <laughs> and she knows. Now she sees the difference. Like, I've been totally amiable within the rules and whatever, but you're trying to do something that's not even in the contract. No. Yeah. You know? So then you put your foot down, and then it has almost like valid or right? because you yeah. haven't been crazy that whole time. Exactly. But I feel managing your buyers through the whole transaction is the only way you can do this business. Like you have to manage the home inspection. You have to manage the appraisal. You have to manage like what's going to happen. This is the worst that could happen. This is the best that could happen. I think this is going to happen. But if the worst happens, this is how we're going to fix it. I feel like they already know. I always give them worst case scenario because we've done it so many times. I'm like, I'm going to ask them that. But no, they're not getting you a new refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like 
And, but that, and that is part, again, of what a good buyer's agent does, right? And why most of your transactions are so smooth because you do go into you it have with to. great communication. Correct. Collaboration. I think and managing yes. insanity because yes. I have to say everybody, even the nicest people, are crazy when they're buying their own house. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I was crazy when I was doing my own. But I love how when we're doing other people, then we're like zen kind of. Yes. Because I always tell people, the reason that I'm not crying with you or pulling my hair out that the door doesn't open is because I'm going to fix it. Not because I'm going to run around like a crazy person. Right, right, right. Because that's not going to, I mean, it might make you feel better that Valerie's also crying, but it doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah. So I feel with my people, if I cannot manage them that way, we can't work together. Because I can't. I can't have, be in a state of insanity the whole time. Yeah. Like, I need to manage every little step. Like, even yesterday, I'm like, okay, now today's appraisal in my condo. And I'm like, this is the appraisal's happening today. We should find out by Tuesday. You know what I mean? So they know. Yeah. If it's low, we're going to ask them. If it's high, woohoo, we got it for a good price. Right. Exactly. And you make a good point that when, when you said, you know, I'm not crying with you because I'm going to fix it. The very best agents are great problem solvers. And I right. think that's what we do best. And when you can collaborate with another agent on the other side, who's yes. also a good problem solver, then it's you got the deal. You done. have to be one step ahead, right? Yeah. Well, we gave you guys a lot today, and this was a little bit of a long episode, so I apologize, but it was just so much to share. I hope you got a lot out of it. Our next episode, we are going to have a guest, a brand new agent who has lots of questions about what it takes to succeed in real estate, and it's going to kind of be a reverse interview of us. Who's our new agent? It's going to be Josh. Josh is going to come. Oh, and that is so funny. Questions. Okay. Yes. So we'll have lots of stories to share and some secrets, and we cannot wait to see you on the next show. So as always, please remember, leave us a review, a rating, send us your show ideas, connect with us on our website at therealestaterainmakers.com. Thank you for listening. And as always, I'm Meredith Fogel, along with Valerie Hernwong. We'll see you next time. Bye. We are so grateful you joined us today on So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you're still not sure real estate is the right career for you, tune in to our next episodes. If you're more sure than ever, tune into future episodes for more tips, tools, and insider secrets that will help you launch into productive action and achieve quick success. Just a reminder that we love reviews. Please let us know what you like best about this podcast, what we could do better, ask us questions, or send us show ideas. Check out our show notes page for our contact info or visit our website, therealestaterainmakers.com for access to the tools, tips, systems, and other great resources we mentioned on the show. I'm Meredith Fogel. And I'm Valerie Harnell. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>